You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Good morning and welcome to Fully Alive, the radio program of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity for the Archdiocese of Chicago. My name is Ryan Lentz and I'm the director of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity. We're here on WNDC 750 AM radio from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock on the first Wednesday of each month and online at radiotv.archchicago.org. Our show brings you stories and perspectives that promote the social mission of the Catholic Church. We talk about themes of Catholic social teaching and various issues of life, justice, and peace that are impacting our communities here in the Archdiocese and beyond. And we're so grateful that you are spending part of your morning with us today. I'm delighted to be joined uh, this morning by my co-host, uh, Corinne Woodruff. Good morning, Corinne. Good morning, Ryan. I'm not sure if you've been on our program before, have you? I actually was back in August. Oh, that's right. That was right as you got to Chicago. Yes, yeah, I forgot I about that. I haven't started working at the office yet. And that's you were right. like, do you want to come on the radio on Wednesday? And I was like... Why not? Yeah, it was right after uh, the shootings in Dayton. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, it's been a minute since then. <laughs> Six months, um, almost exactly. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that you're uh, co-hosting with me this morning. Um, so, Corinne, you are a fellow with Amate House, so you've been with that program for about six months now and with our office almost that long as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are from Ohio originally. Yes, that is right. I'm, I was born and raised about in a small town called Bakken's, which is an hour north of Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And finished up in Dayton in, I'm guessing, May, probably? Yes, this past May of 2019. Yeah, yeah. And so you've been working with our office uh, for about six months now, um, supporting a variety of programs in the office, uh, and everything from advocacy to Catholic relief services to anti-violence. I mean... It's been a it's been a hodgepodge, yeah. <laughs> we like to run the full gamut of life and justice issues, don't yes, we? Yes, and we just got back from uh, the Catholic Social Ministry Gathering, which was a terrific gathering in Washington D.C. with about 650 people from around the United States and 55 delegates from. Illinois, which was incredible because we was the largest state able to be represented. Yeah, yeah, that was a, an amazing experience. We'll have a, a chance to talk a little bit more about that uh, throughout our hour together. Um, we're also delighted to be joined by Michael Rabbit, who is a parishioner at St. Mary of the Woods Parish in Chicago. Um, he is the co-founder and chair of the racial and social justice ministry of that parish uh, since 2002. Uh, Michael also served on the Archdiocese of Chicago's anti-racism implementation team from 2010 to 2014. Uh, and became a founding member of a new organization called the Northwest Side Coalition of Racism, uh, uh, Northwest Side Coalition Against Racism and Hate. Um, he also has served as part of our uh, allocations committee for the Catholic Campaign and for Human Development a number of years. Uh, good morning, Michael. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Corinne. Uh, pleased to be here. Thanks yeah. for the invite. Yeah. So we invited you on the program. Um, 
to, to talk a little bit about um, some, some presentations that you're going to be part of uh, in the next month or so, um, one of which uh, really talks about uh, an experience you had of going down to Montgomery, Alabama and visiting uh, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice and, and bringing that experience back and, and kind of weaving it into the broader experience you've had of, of working for anti-racism. Um, so we wanted to have a, a chance to talk to you a little bit about that and, and just hear a little bit about um, what, you, what you share in that uh, presentation. Um, so I, I guess you know I mentioned in your um, in your introduction that you um, uh, have been involved with anti-racism work for for almost twenty years now. So maybe start. Could you talk a little bit about just how how you got on that journey? Like what uh, kind of led you to to be uh, you know so involved in, in promoting racial justice? Sure. So uh, I grew up in St. Louis. I grew up in a integrated neighborhood in St. Louis uh, in the Central West End area, um, and. You know, St. Louis, like Chicago, has a history of segregation and a topic that, uh, you know, I'm very passionate about addressing. And, um, you know, I had an opportunity to go to a Catholic elementary school, was about 50 percent white, 50 percent black. And so, you know, I got to see the uh, how a diverse world should, should operate from that standpoint. Yet at the same time, I saw the discrimination and racism that uh, my black classmates faced. Uh, growing up there. And so I think that combined with the fact that I grew up in a family where um, respecting human dignity dignity and uh, social justice was really an important value in, in my family, um, I think that, that those values were instilled in me in, at a young age growing up in St. Louis. Um, then in Chicago, uh, about the time that I moved up to the far northwest side and joined St. Mary of the Woods, had the experience of uh, one of the priests there, uh, the late Father Tom Maher, approached me after mass one time and said, you know, the, uh, we're, we're, we're organizing uh, a, a retreat, an overnight re anti-racism workshop for uh, parishioners here, uh, along with several other participating parishes. And uh, would you like to go? And I said, absolutely. You know, this, I'd been, you know, looking to get more involved in, in, in racial, work for racial justice. And so um, he said, then he made the comment, well, I'm so happy because you're the first person that's voluntarily or willingly agreed to go. I had to twist a lot of arms to get other, pe other people to go. So mm. thank you very much. And so um, that was a tremendous experience for me. Um, and one of the things that you do at this workshop, there's a resolution, you know, something that you're going to do to try to sustain what you talked about at the workshop. And the resolution that myself and a couple other folks uh, agreed to that was that we would start a uh, ministry at St. Mary of the Woods focused on racial and social justice. A mm. um, little bit of pushback at first. Far Northwest side of Chicago has a history of racism and segregation. And uh, so, you know, we knew that, uh, you know, this would be challenging work, but um, we've, we have made it work. And then from there, um, I had opportunities to be involved in other workshops. Uh, you're probably familiar with Sea Roar uh, Crossroads yep. has an amazing two and a half day workshop that really gets into the analysis of the history of racism and uh, systemic white supremacy. And uh, that was a very transformational educational experience for me. Uh, and then that positioned me to be, get more involved at the Archdiocese where I was invited to join the, uh, the anti-racism team that you mentioned. And then also um, be a become a workshop facilitator for the one day workshops that the Archdiocese held, that the Office of Racial Justice held for um, uh, parish staff and uh, Catholic school teachers. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that obviously um, growing up being part of a family that really underscored the importance of human dignity and, and linking that aspect of, of faith to this work. Um, how has that, I guess, that understanding or that conviction kind of grown over time as you've as you've done things with the parish, as you've done things with the archdiocese? Like, how 
you know, I just think about how it's so important for us to put a Catholic identity on the work of anti-racism and dismantling white supremacy because, um, you know, we have such a rich Catholic social tradition that, that we can call for for that. that. That's right. I mean, it, it, as you know, it's often called the, the best kept secret in the church, the, mm-hmm. the social justice mission. And so, um, you know, racism is something that uh, particularly white people, we do not talk about. We're not willing to confront our history. And that's a big part of what we talk about in this program on the lynching memorial that we'll talk about in a bit. Um, we don't hear enough uh, sermons or homilies uh, on racism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there's just way too much silence and denial. And I think that, I see that as a big part of, of, of my faith is that we we need to um, to embrace this history. We need to talk about it. We need to confront it. We need to dismantle uh, racism and systemic white supremacy. Yeah, yeah. And I think oftentimes uh, in conversations that I have with other white folks, it's it's often that racism is kind of seen as something in the past. And and obviously, as we as we look at how, and especially part of it is to understand what is the definition of racism that we're working with, right? Because if all we do is define racism as bigotry toward another individual, well, you know, fortunately, we're in our society, that type of outward kind of hateful um, behavior is is generally frowned upon, although we see, at, you know, we see expressions of it in some places. Um, but fortunately, it's not as as not as out as it was. But, but, uh, but certainly, when we talk about systems and institutions, when we talk about bias, and we talk about uh, misuse of power in systems yep. and institutions, that still is very much alive and well in our society today. And it, it, it requires a, commit, a commitment and a, a real sustained effort, right, to be able to to recognize how that's alive in our lives and, and yeah. where we and, and we have to have a lens to, to look for it and to see it. And we also have to have the ability to see where other people are on that journey, right? Mm-hmm. So for a lot of people, it's as you said, it's just defined as individual racism, and they have a hard time seeing beyond that. They have a hard time seeing the institutional, systemic, and structural aspects of racism. But I think if we can recognize where people are are, are on that journey. Um, you know, we can we can tailor our message and help bring them along and 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 educate folks to to get them to to where where we all want to be. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you mentioned Chicago Roar. I've I've had the privilege of working with that organization for a couple of years now, and you mentioned they have a, a terrific two and a half day workshop that really goes into a deep analysis and history of racism. Um, they also have a number of really good one day workshops that are are kind of good. Um, intros to, to either systemic racism or crit- critical cultural competency. They also have a really good one on um, on anti-bias, anti-racism education that's great for, for, for school uh, personnel. Um, Corinne, I know actually you had a chance to uh, be part of that two-and-a-half-day workshop uh, through Amate House Formation. Can you share a bit about what that was like for you? Yes. So as part of our Amate House Formation, since leadership development is something that the organization um, holds so highly, in mid-September, my 18 fellow program members and I, as well as the executive director of Amate House, went through the two-and-a-half-day anti-racism training with a couple other service organizations um, in the Chicago area. And like you said, it was a very intense, informational, and really important two and a half days. I think looking back on those two days, it was just kind of a lot was moving and stirring in our hearts as a community because Amate House is a predominantly white institution. Um, out of the almost all of the fellows this year are identify as white. So I think about how Amate House is also trying to become an anti-racist organization and the ways that it can grow and how we as people of faith are called to these conversations, not just because... Um, human dignity matters because, of course, we recognize that sense of human dignity, but like recognizing that dignity isn't enough. We have to continue to move past this. And like you were saying, Michael, how do we have these conversations? How do we 
walk with people who are in different spots in their anti-racism or racial justice journey. And at the end of the month, actually, myself and another individual from the St. Teresa of Avila Parish up in Lincoln Park are launching a eight-week social justice small group. And one of the focuses is like the beginning conversations about racial justice. And I'm really looking forward to kind of begin to dialogue with other young adults about how they think about that, the intersections of faith and racial justice in um, our society today. Mm-hmm. Something I, I feel like kind of comes up, and I'm, I'm reading um, a great book by Robin D'Angelo right now called um, White Fragility, right? And one of the things that she talks about in that, right, is that, um, you know, I think sometimes people feel, especially white folks, feel uncomfortable in the in conversations about race because um, they are, are just feel ill-equipped. They don't have, like, the, the information available to them. And sometimes there can be, a, I think, an unhealthy habit of, of putting that work on the shoulders of people of color who oftentimes are are, are the recipients of, of unjust racial structures right and and it's like you know um, it's one of the the dynamics of like as opposed to really putting it on ourselves to say okay we need to educate ourselves we need to do some learning or unlearning of, of, of you know unhelpful narratives that you know that we've been introduced to in our education or um, ways in which we haven't been given the whole picture um, I guess you mentioned, you know, so you've had you had a chance to go down to Montgomery and experience um, the uh, the National Lynching Memorial. The, um, the I think the official name is the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, but it's commonly known as the Lynching Memorial. So, um, a couple minutes before we go to our first break, would you be able to talk a little bit about how that came to be? Absolutely. So, um, I'm a big fan of of Brian Stevenson and Equal Justice Initiative, and uh, as as many folks know, Brian Stevenson is the uh, founder of Equal Justice Initiative, this great film out, Just Mercy, that talks about um, uh, his life and the work he's done in in, in Alabama and Georgia. And um, so I had heard about this, uh, the, the Lynching Memorial or National Memorial for Peace and Justice. There's also a companion museum called the Legacy Museum from enslavement to mass incarceration, which uh, I would like to talk about at some point as well. But uh, I heard about this and uh, knew that the opening ceremony was taking place in, in April 2018, and so made plans to, to travel down there for it. Um, and then uh, I also uh, shared the information. I work at Argonne National Laboratory, and I shared the information with the African American Employee Research Group there. And it turned out that a, a coworker at Argonne, uh, Leon Reed, um, when he saw that uh, information shared, he decided to go as well. And so, so Leon is actually a part of the. Um, program on the lynching memorial that 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 uh, I facilitate. Uh, I thought it was really important, at Leon as a black man, to have, you know, I can talk about it as, as a white person whose ancestors were not lynched, but it was really important to to, to have the, to share the experience with um, someone whose ancestors uh, uh, were lynched. Um, and so, uh, so Leon and I had a tremendous experience there, and I had a uh, a friend who is uh, leads the social justice ministry at uh, Queen of All Saints, Adele Bach, approached me a couple months later. Said, "Hey, I've been I've been seeing uh, you talk about your experience on social media and and at other gatherings, and and I'd like to share an idea with you." And I said, "Well, what idea is that?" And she said, "Could we, uh, could you come to Queen of All Saints and present on your experience?" And so that was kind of where this started. As I then thought about how I would design a program that would allow this experience to be shared with people here in Chicago who maybe can't go to Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was kind of the origins of, of, of the program based on the, the visit in April of 2018. Great, great. And so you've had a chance to, to offer this presentation uh, a number of times, right? 
um, throughout the last couple of years, right? Yeah. So uh, the, the, we're doing it again on February 27th. That'll be, I believe, the fifth time. So started Queen of All Saints in October of 2018. Uh, I have was also invited to do the program at uh, St. Agatha's on the west side in collaboration with Old St. Pat's, mm-hmm. and then also on the west side at uh, St. Malachy's Precious Blood. And then we did it for the first time on the far northwest side of Chicago at the Gift Theater. And then again, the, the next one is... Uh, coming up uh, at, uh, Nor- in Norwood Park at the Norwood Park Metro Station on uh, Thursday the 27th. Okay, great. Well, I think we're going to take our first break now, so please stay with us. We will be back in just a couple minutes. covered in sin and shame I heard mercy call my name We're betting that you'll have a great time at the 13th Annual Charities Royale Casino Night on Saturday, February 15th. The payoffs will be huge when you come and enjoy an evening of blackjack, roulette, auctions, raffles, live music, and more at the Chicago Cultural Center. Proceeds benefit Catholic Charities Family Stabilization Services, emergency food, clothing, and other supplies that help families in crisis. We are not bluffing. You won't need any beginner's luck to have a grand time at this casino night. There is no limit to the fun. It will be a full house on February 15th, so ante up and buy your tickets today at catholiccharities.net slash casino night. We invite you to watch Catholic Chicago this weekend, featuring a conversation with Cardinal Blaise Supich and video highlights from across the archdiocese. Here's host Todd Williamson. We'll walk with the participants of the Immigration Posada and hear about the challenges facing immigrants today. We'll show you how high school students devoted their time and talent to a group of military veterans. And you can enjoy the sights and sounds of the City Lights Orchestra performing its first ever Rector's Christmas Concert at Holy Name Cathedral. Watch Catholic Chicago Friday at 7 p.m. on Chicago Loop Cable, Channel 25, and Sunday afternoon at 3 on the Comcast Network, Channel 100. Welcome back to Fully Alive, the radio program of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity for the Archdiocese. Uh, you're listening this morning to Ryan Lentz along with Corinne Woodruff and our guest Michael Rabbit, uh, who is a parishioner at St. Mary of the Woods Parish uh, and has uh, been a, a great leader in our archdiocese on a variety of uh, racial justice initiatives. We were, As we were going to break, uh, we were just talking about um, this presentation that uh, Michael has, has crafted uh, with some other folks uh, that really talks about the experience of visiting um, the uh, National Memorial for Peace and Justice, a.k.a. the, um, the National Lynching Memorial that um, Brian Stevenson's group, uh, Equal Justice Initiative, uh, developed a, number, a couple of years back. Um, so, Michael, I guess one of, what was just in, in your experience of, of going down there and then also maybe just with, with sharing that story, what have been some, some things that have kind of surprised you or kind of emerged that you didn't necessarily expect uh, when you embarked on this journey? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll just say it's just a, a powerful experience. Um, I mean, lynching is a horrible atrocity. Uh, I mean, we basically had a period from 1877 
1950, a decades-long campaign of racial terror in this country. Mm -hmm. And it's been hidden from us largely. And so going there and seeing what Brian Stevenson committed to doing, which is we have to claim the spaces where these atrocities occurred. You know, Brian Stevenson says you can't go to Germany without seeing Holocaust memorials and museums. You can't go to South Africa without seeing memorials and museums regarding apartheid. And so we have to confront these same evils. So I was, you know, so drawn to the power that this memorial created. When you when you go there, it's on a, the, 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 a hill, the highest space in Montgomery, overseeing uh, the downtown and the Capitol. So the, the space itself, it's a powerful setting. And then it's made up of, so there were over 4,000 documented lynchings. Uh, Equal Justice Initiative documented about four. 4,400. Of course, there were thousands more that we just don't know about. Mm -hmm. And they are remembered through these 800 steel columns that are hanging from the roof of the memorial. Mm. And inscribed are the names of the people who Equal Justice Initiative have been able to research to identify that were victims of lynching. And in some cases, they have unknown inscribed. Mm -hmm. So there's 800 of these steel columns. They're hanging down. They're like six feet tall. It's just a, a, a... powerful imagery. And as you walk through uh, the space, you first see it at eye level, but then as you walk on down, you the, 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 the floor lowers so that then the uh, columns are, are, are lifting up almost as you're walking through it to the point where then you see the image of these hanging columns with this similar visual of some people being lynched. It's just mm-hmm. it's just hard to describe unless you've actually uh, seen it. But we do try to bring that experience in the program because one of the things I do in the program is I show a number of pictures um, that I took. I show Equal Justice uh, Initiative videos. Um, we also try to make it, it's not an in-depth history lesson. We talk about the history because the hist- history has been hidden from us. Mm-hmm. But it's also, uh, the program is also based on um, talking about what Brian Stevenson aptly describes as an uninterrupted line, a direct line from slavery to uh, lynching to Jim Crow to mass incarceration. And that's mm-hmm. what his legacy museum does. And so we try to bring that experience to the people in the program and then get, we have breakouts. We talk about it. Um, and we also talk what I think most, almost most important is how is racial terror still present today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and if I'm correct, um, the, you said there's 800 columns, and each of them represent a county in the United States, correct? Is that that's, right? That's correct. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's also companion columns that are laid out almost like coffins at the memorial site as well. Uh, and um, the, uh, the Equal Justice Initiative has what they call a remembrance project where counties across the United States where these lynchings occurred can claim this second or duplicate column and bring it back, the requirements are that you have to have a historical marker. Um, and then once you've done that and there's an application process, that uh, column can be brought back. And, and that's something that actually is in process here in Cook County as well, because there was a lynching here in Cook County. Yeah, which that might be a surprise to, for some people listening. I mean, obviously, you know, we for those who have, have done a little bit of learning or, you know, even who were alive, you know, in, uh, during Jim Crow era, know that, uh, you know, as you said, lynching was a, a just a, a terrifying form of, of racial terrorism that, um, you know, was was alive and well for, for decades, as you said, and, you know, kind of, 
you know, was, um, and certainly, you know, those of us who um, have, have done, uh, you know, learning of the history of Chicago know about the experience of Emmett Till, for example. You know, he uh, was a, you know, a young boy, you know, living in Chicago with his mom, went down to Mississippi, I believe, to visit relatives, uh, was brutally murdered. And, you know, that that experience of, uh, of his open coffin funeral, you know, brought in thousands of guests, you know, people from around Chicago and beyond. And, um, you know, I, I had a chance to visit uh, the Smithsonian Museum uh, on African-American history and culture uh, when we were there a couple of weeks ago. Um, and one of the things that I read there, uh, they have a, a kind of a, an exhibit there that talks about the life of Emmett Till, um, that, that that experience was something that actually really galvanized Rosa Parks to get involved in the, um, in the civil rights movement. Um, so you mentioned that uh, that here in Cook County, there's there you know there there are a number of documented lynchings that have happened in the North, you know, throughout Illinois. I'm from Indiana. I know the one that was um, that was in, that inspired the song "Strange Fruit" uh, by Billy Holiday yep. um, was uh, from a um, a lynching that took place not far from where, actually where I went to college in Indiana. Which when I learned that, I was like, oh my gosh, like I had no idea. Um, so, you know, I guess thinking about how this is not just something that happened in the Deep South; it's actually something that you know. We, we know documented happened in here in Illinois and even here in Cook County. That's right. So in 1924, William Bell was lynched. And people commonly think of lynching as just hanging, but it, it, it's not. It's In his case, he was uh, brutally beaten, had his skull fractured, beaten mm-hmm. severely over the head with a baseball bat mm-hmm. and died. And so he was a victim of lynching uh, here in Cook County. And that is being remembered. It happened uh on or near the UIC campus. And so that there'll, there'll be a, re, a remembrance marker there. And then the plank or the column that is down in Montgomery right now will be brought and will be placed in the uh, DuSable Museum of African-American History. Wow. So the idea is that they, they hope that, you know, kind of some of these local remembrances will, will happen, you know, that there will be communities of folks that will will kind of look, be intentional about reclaiming that history and, and that, you know, ultimately... You know, years later, hopefully, when we when we visit this memorial, all of those outdoor pieces will ultimately find homes in, in the counties from which they're meant to. That's to exactly go. right. And hopefully through those coming home to those counties, it'll increase the visibility of the history of lynching. Because, um, you know, in order to heal, we have to confront this terrible history. We have to, to educate ourselves. We have to make it known. We have to put a spotlight on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, when you when you were talking about that, it, it really resonates, um, especially with with some of the work that I've done around restorative justice, around just like in order to to heal a harm, you know, the, we need to be able to to re- recognize um, where harm has taken place, right? And we need to be able to give space for those who have been most affected by harm to be able to to name those wounds and be able to you know work as a community to 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 to, yeah. to, to heal the harms. Yeah. Yeah. We also need to individualize it. So one of the yeah. things that we do in the program is I took pictures of these different plaques which uh, explain why people were lynched. And some of the reasons are just incredibly absurd and it just it just highlights the inhumanity of it. I mean a number of people were were lynched, you know, based on alleged uh, cases of sexual assault or murder, but really if you look at these the messages on these plaques, it's things like, you know, talking to a white woman or complaining about somebody who was dealt with unjustly or lynched or, um, you know, just, again, talking to a white woman. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And uh, these are the stories that we have to tell. Um, and 
that is a big part of the program that I do is to also look at, at those reasons why people are lynched and then make connections to today. Because if we look at everyday racism, and fortunately there's been a spotlight recently on, you know, why uh, people call the police on black folks, right? And it's for just doing everyday things. You know, we talk about driving while black, but we're, uh, there's been a spotlight placed on uh, driving while having a barbecue, by mm. going to a game, uh, you know, being, having the police called on people for doing everyday things. Uh, all the things that we as white people take for granted, the, the you know, white privilege of being able to go to a store and not being followed, uh, being able to hail a cab. These are all things that we tried to make a connection to in the program by talking about the reasons why people were lynched and how racial terror is still present today. Yeah, yeah. And I think also part of it is to say, you know, I think that, again, part of that fragility there is like people, pe because we live in a society where being dubbed a racist is this this terrible mark of shame right um oftentimes people want to deny that we have that we grow up in a racialized society right and i think one of the things that was helpful in my own journey was um, i know harvard has this free website that uh is called Impl implicit racial bias if you go to google and you and you type it in um it will go through a kind of a free like little um quiz kind of thing where it will ask you kind of like just what, what are your automatic like kind of reactions to different pictures or, or words that you see. And it's very illustrative because it just shows how like what are the messages that we're bombarded in in our society even today um, that really talks about centering whiteness as good, normal, standard, moral, and and how people of color are, are demonized with all these different messages. And these are messages that we're constantly being fed each and every day. And oftentimes we're not aware of how that shapes us. And so when you talk about these situations where, where someone perceives a black man trying to get into his own home as a, right. as a potential threat, it, it leads to these, these scenarios where, where people have been harmed or, or in, indeed killed because of, of um, you know, someone making an incorrect judgment in that split second moment. Um, I know we're, we're almost at our break, so I just want to quickly again mention the two um, opportunities that you have. Uh, the first one is coming up on uh, Tuesday, February 27th at 7 o'clock. This is at uh, 6088 North Northwest Highway. Um, and that's going to be, again, your presentation on lynching in America and confronting the legacy of racial terror. Yep, Thursday, February 27th, oh, Thursday. 7 p.m. Okay. Yep. Um, and then also uh, you have, um, you're going to be participating in a, um, a, a presentation on uh, March the 3rd uh, that were a screening of True Justice, uh, the documentary about Brian Stevenson, uh, will be shown at the Independence Branch of the Chicago Public Library. Uh, that's 4024 North Elston Avenue. Both of those uh, are linked on uh, the Archdiocesan Violence Prevention Initiatives webpage. If you actually go to the Arch Chicago website right now, uh, you'll see that as one of the main sliders. Um, so just click on the on the button that says um, Archdiocesan. Um, up, upcoming anti-violence events and you'll find both of those there and how to register and, and where to go. So, Michael, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We're really appreciative for um, just the, the critical work that you're doing on behalf of, uh, of Catholics and people of faith uh, to really raise these issues and uh, just to continue to share the story. It's so, so important. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Thank you. Please stay with us. We'll be right back in a couple minutes.
Are you looking for a new employment opportunity where you can use your skills and experience to make a positive impact? Do you want to be part of an organization filled with talented people who are committed every day to an important mission? Then you belong at Catholic Charities. We are proud to be one of the largest nonprofit agencies in the Midwest responding to individual, family, and community needs with compassionate and professional services that restore hope and build better futures. We offer a competitive benefits package, and we are always looking for dedicated individuals to become part of the team. To see our current list of available job opportunities, visit catholiccharities.net and click on the About Us tab. The Cemetery Ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 44 Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic cemeteries willing to help you in your time of loss. Call 708-449-6100 or visit catholiccemeterychicago.org. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837. There is so much waiting for you at Catholic Charities Senior Services. We offer programs and services to help make the most of every day. Friendships and fun are guaranteed at our drop-in senior centers. Our adult daycare centers offer enjoyment and greater supervision to seniors who need it while their caregivers get a break. Holy Family Villa provides a beautiful, safe environment for seniors looking for short or long-term residential facility. And we offer assistance with senior benefits, care coordination, congregate and home-delivered meals, hospital transition, and much more. For more than 100 years, we have accompanied seniors through every transition in their lives, and we are here for you now. Catholic Charities is a name and an agency you can trust. Call Senior Services today at 312-655-7700. That's 312-655-7700. You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. Every Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago. Welcome back to Fully Alive, the radio program of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Uh, Ryan and Corinne are your guest, are your hosts today, and we're uh, just talking about some um, some really important work uh, that uh, Michael Rabbit w- uh, was with us for the first half of the show to talk about uh, a couple of presentations that um, he's doing to talk about racial justice and his experience of, of visiting the National Lynching Memorial uh, in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, we're also delighted to have a guest with us, um, Chris Ann Valiancourt Murphy, who is the executive director of uh, the Catholic Mobilizing Network. Do we have you on the line, Chris Ann? Yes. Hi, Ryan. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So, Chris Ann, uh, I know we've had a chance uh, to work a lot together over the last couple of years. CMN um, is a terrific organization that's based in Washington, um, doing work to abolish the death penalty around the United States and promote restorative justice. 
Um, and uh, we had a chance to, to be with you and your staff uh, out in D.C. Uh, just this past week uh, as part of the Catholic Social Ministry Gathering, where you um, showed an amazing screening of the movie Just Mercy, which is uh, based on the, the book um, written by Brian Stevenson, talking about a man who was wrongfully convicted and sentenced to die on, um, on, de on death row and by, uh, by um, uh, the electric chair. And so... Um, wanted to bring you on and talk a little bit about the work of your organization and, and some of the things you're working on these days. So maybe start, um, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about how, how did you get involved with Catholic Mobilizing Network and around this work of, of abolishing the death penalty? Mm, good question. You know, um, death penalty has been something I've um, thought about for many years. I'm old enough to have seen the movie Dead Man Walking when it came out, um, mm. and I was in my early 20s when when I saw it. It was very informative uh, moment in my life, and it stuck with me for many years. Um, I, I've worked in faith-based advocacy my entire career on issues of um, human rights, labor rights, and hunger, um, but it really never left me um, the, the desire to, to approach the death penalty and to, to make a difference in the United States at abolishing it. So when I was offered the opportunity to do so, um, I, I jumped at the chance because it's somewhere that I can connect my deep faith and my belief in the dignity of every human life, and then to actually see it come to an end because it's winnable in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about with our, our previous guest, Michael, was about how it's so, so important, I think, um, and with issues like this, to to really tie it into the core of what we believe as Catholics and our, our Catholic social teaching. And, and you know, certainly as a uh, as a church, we have been steadfast in, um, in, in promoting the dignity of the human person, especially at the beginning of life. But I think oftentimes the, the issue of the death penalty is one that doesn't always get as much attention. Um, and, and often I know that we have we have folks within the church who who may support uh, the death penalty. And so when you talk about the death penalty with folks and especially putting a Catholic lens on it, why, what do you, how do you really frame that as being such an important um, thing that, that we, we put within our, 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 our values of, of upholding the dignity of all life? Well, absolutely. I mean, Catholic Mobilizing Network talks about um, the belief in the dignity of each and every person, no matter the harm that has been caused or suffered. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where our whole framing of uh, the work to end the death penalty is because we believe in a more restorative way. We we believe in pursuing restorative justice where um, we're not just looking to punish wrongs and to be retributive in our approach, but we're looking to heal. We're looking to value everyone involved, you know, the victims, the the offenders, and the, the communities that are involved in incidences of harm, crime, violence, sometimes uh, grave harm, certainly, when the death penalty comes in. So, um, you know, the, the human person from womb to tomb is what we believe in. We work very closely with the Bishop's Conference here in Washington, but uh, we stay within, you know, the realm of what the Church's core teaching is, which is the sacred value of, of every life. Um, so when we base our approach to doing advocacy and education and praying for an end to the death penalty, um, that's kind of that's our starting point. That's our home base, um, and that's what we're pursuing in in abolishing this deadly and immoral practice. So here in Illinois, fortunately, uh, we're, we're we're lucky to to be a state that that has abolished the death penalty. It was there was a moratorium for a number of years. 
Um, and so for those who are listening, you know, um, you know, we can give thanks to that. But I guess for those of us who, who live in uh, non-death penalty states, I mean, we I think at this point we're, we're still the minority, right? There are still more states that do practice than, than don't. Am I correct on that or am I, do I have that as mixed up? Yeah, well, that's it's an interesting question. Um, I guess, you know, before I answer that, I would just I want to lift up the story of Illinois abolishing the death penalty, because I think that we're seeing states that are in the same place where Illinois was in the 90s and into the early 2000s, um, you know, where they were really calling into question the practice. So for those folks who hadn't, you know, kind of don't conjure up that history kind of quickly, um, Governor Ryan in 1999 declared a moratorium on executions, and we currently have four governor-declared moratoriums in place. Um, So that happened in 1999 in Illinois, but we have right now Colorado, Pennsylvania, um, Oregon and um, and California. So you know we're we're seeing that same that that play out currently. Um, and so there was that question in the state of Illinois about the death penalty and the system. And the, and Governor Ryan had called forth not just a moratorium but a commission to study the practice. Um, and then he did this incredible thing by community commuting the sentences of 167 inmates just before leaving office in 2003. So a really courageous step. And then finally, um, which, you know, that set in motion all sorts of um, work to actually bring it to the legislature and make it more formal and get it off the books in Illinois. So it's so exciting that in 2011 it was actually um, abolished. And we're in the throes of that right now in the state of Colorado, in other states like Louisiana that have know, good chances. Virginia's got some bills this year. Um, you know, it's that that history is kind of repeating itself in a good way. And I think um, we're seeing the states kick down. There is 21 states that have abolished the death penalty. Four states, as I mentioned, have governor declared moratoriums. And then, so Ryan, to answer your question, there's a whole bunch of other states. This is where it, it kind of becomes gray. But I think leaning in our favor toward abolition, there's a whole bunch of states, like like a dozen, that haven't even executed anyone in a decade. So they're de facto moratorium states. You know, no one's declared it, and it's not official, but no one's really pursuing it. So even though there's only been 21 states that have abolished formally, the move is in our favor, and the mood of the country is trending um, where death penalty is dying a death. So there's fewer executions than, um, you know, we're at kind of a historic low in the number of executions every year and the number of death sentences are on decline. So it's exciting to see that you know, this, again, is very winnable and, um, and we can, as Catholics, just proclaim this space of the dignity of all life and really change for the better um, policies across the country. Great. So um, we, we mentioned that uh, Corinna and I were uh, in D.C. this past week for the Catholic Social Ministry Gathering. And uh, one of the I know one of the highlights for me, I don't know, if Corinna, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I, <laughs> I know for me, uh, one of the absolute highlights and one of the most powerful experiences was being able to see a screening of Just Mercy um, mm. as part of the, the Catholic Mobilizing Network. Um, they You all hosted a, a screening for us, and I think probably, what, about 100 mm-hmm. people came out for it? Yeah, we had 141 folks who came out. Um, wow. It was exciting. And to see it 
you know, the movie is great on its own, and um, I've seen it three times. But to see it the third time with a room, you know, full, seats filled, there was not an empty seat in the house, of Catholics who are in leadership positions in dioceses and Catholic conferences, um, you know, across the United States who really can put this into action and actually be empowered to do something to end the death penalty was just really exciting for me. Yeah. And then, Chrisanne, thinking about um, the showing and all of that, I know um, the Catholic Mobilizing Network has um, created some resources about the film. Um, Would you be willing to share a little bit about those and how um, people can access them and where to find them? Sure, absolutely. Well, um, as we said, the, the movie Just Mercy comes out after a very successful run of the book entitled Just Mercy, written by Brian Stevenson. And so, Given the popularity and the the power that was behind the the book, we all anticipated that the movie, you know, would also be influential in in our time. Um, and so we we were brought into a, a brain trust discussion uh, probably a, a year before the movie came out to talk about how it could be um, an agent or an inspiration for change. And we were we were thinking, well, how can we lend um, our mobilizing effort to this? And so we thought that undoubtedly Catholics would be seeing this film, um, and then it you know turns out to have this such an A list of actors behind it, like with Jamie Foxx and Brie Larson and Michael B. Jordan. So we kind of assumed it was going to be a big hit, um, and we thought, well, if Catholics are going, it would be wonderful if they could have some kind of collective reflection and collective in that either they're all using the same sheet of music, you know, the same questions and, and a resource um, held in common, even if we're just having our own personal reflections on the movie, or for small groups and parishes and churches and in, in, in Catholic communities, campuses and such, who might go see it together and use it as an opportunity to prompt discussion and, and you know, deepening awareness of what's going on in the country. So we came up with a a short but very relevant Catholic study guide, um, and we've shared it. We shared it with the highest levels uh, of the church here in the U.S. So again, with the bishops' conference and and bishops, and it has gotten um, it's been warmly received. So I think folks can feel good about using it. But what's included? We have a an, a version that can be downloaded um, from our website, and also you can um, call for copies, you know, that are printed. But what's included is sort of looking at your own experience of seeing the film, maybe what some assumptions were going into it and, and what you noticed and, and how you're reacting, you know, just from the film and the characters in it. But then also taking a step back and looking at the death penalty in our Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and then thirdly, putting that in the context of our broken criminal justice system, the criminal legal system that um, this, this practice functions in. And what does it say about um, what we can do about it? So it's kind of three segments of reflection questions. Um, again, it can be downloaded from our website, catholicsmobilizing.org. It's right on the front page. Um, and in addition to what folks find in the hard copy, we have an online version. So if you want much more in-depth resources around the death penalty and Catholic te- teaching or around you know, current facts and myths around the death penalty and what's happening state by state and how you can get involved in meaningful, um, impactful actions. All of that is embedded in the online version for a deeper study and a deeper look. 
I actually happen to have a copy um, right in front of me, and I'm really struck by it. Like you mentioned, the section on the death penalty in our Catholic faith and, like, the question, how does your Catholic faith influence your opinion of the death penalty, as well as, like, the question before, which is, what did you think about the death penalty and how has your sense of it changed in providing, like, asking that direct question, like, providing space for people either to discuss in groups or, like, silently work through that. Um, I think about a lot of my own family members and their kinds of journeys on the opinions of the death penalty and how, like, it's a space that a lot of people need to reflect and work out. And I love that the Catholic Mobilizing Network has provided a resource for people to either gather around or work through on their own. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we've been so um, delighted to hear responses. We've had, you know, local churches come in here to get copies of the guide. We shared it widely at the Catholic Social Ministry Gathering, but then we know it has been incredible for us to see how many folks have downloaded the resource and visited the page. It is by far <laughs> the most popular page on our website, like ever, um, and we've been around for 10 years, but that's what happens when there's this Hollywood movie that comes out, but it's based, it's so meaningful, it's based in such—it um, echoes our, our Catholic teaching on dignity— and it echoes gospel values. And so let's use this opportunity and that, um, that method, you know, let's use that approach and um, tool to prompting these discussions and giving people the space to be transformed. You know, when we have work to do to understand the teaching and what it means um, to actually preach redemption and preach mercy, um, you know, people— if we're really going to be changed and it will be long-lasting, then people will um, be able to enter into some kind of transformation, and we want to be part of that. Wonderful. Well, I think we are up to our last break, so we're going to uh, step away for just a quick second. Christine, are you able to stay with us for one more segment? Great. Okay, we'll be right back. Catholic Charities invites you to a fabulous evening for a great cause on Friday, February 7th at the 2020 First Look for Charity. This black tie event features live music, gourmet food, cocktails, and an all-access exclusive preview of the Chicago Auto Show, the largest in the nation. Car enthusiasts also get a chance to win a new Ford Explorer just by attending. Join us for this night of elegance and fun. Catholic Charities is one of 18 nonprofit organizations that benefit from the proceeds of First Look for Charity. When you purchase tickets and select Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Chicago as your charity of choice, you'll be supporting programs that provide critical help to people in need. That's First Look for Charity on February 7th. For more information, call 312-948-6797 or visit catholiccharities.net. That's 312-948-6797 or visit catholiccharities.net. We invite you to watch Catholic Chicago this weekend, featuring a conversation with Cardinal Blaise Supich and video highlights from across the Archdiocese. Here's host Todd Williamson. We'll walk with the participants of the Immigration Posada and hear about the challenges facing immigrants today. We'll show you how high school students devoted their time and talent to a group of military veterans. And you can enjoy the sights and sounds of the City Lights Orchestra performing its first ever Rector's Christmas Concert at Holy Name Cathedral. 
Watch Catholic Chicago Friday at 7 p.m. on Chicago Loop Cable, Channel 25, and Sunday afternoon at 3 on the Comcast Network, Channel 100. Thank you for staying with us on Fully Alive, the radio program of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Uh, it's Ryan and Corinne, and we're uh, still talking here with uh, Chrisanne Valencourt Murphy from the Catholic Mobilizing Network. Uh, at break, uh, Chrisanne, we were just talking about, I think one of the things that is so resonating about both the book and the movie um, is this notion that um, you know, not only is the death penalty something that has been administered in an unjust way. I mean, obviously, we look at the case of Walter McMillan, which is 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 so extreme in that you know he's clearly a person who um, you know is has been falsely accused, and you know the system has failed him in so many ways. But it's not just the death penalty; it's really just like all the aspects of the criminal justice system that um, that are broken that that need to be um, addressed in a much more comprehensive way. I mean, I think the thing that that the the book is able to go through in a more in a more measured way than the um, than the movie just because the movie would be like eight hours otherwise right oh, is yeah. is that um, you know just like all all the steps that that Brian Stevenson has to kind of you know try to address like the ways in which the the you know the courts and the the process have really failed here and um, and I, I'm sure that that is probably something that's come um, come up in a lot of the reflections and the conversations that you've seen. Uh, and doing some of these screenings, yes. Oh, I'm so I'm so sorry. It's a little staticky, Ryan, and I'm, I think I missed the the last thing you said. It's probably come up in other conversations. Yeah, just has it. How have you seen, um, you know, people in response to seeing the book, seeing the movie, or seeing the book? How have they, um, you know, kind of what have been some of the the main themes that have kind of come out of the conversations there? Well, I think the one that um, you know we hear about over and over is the theme of um, racial bias because that the movie uh, illuminates that so well, and it's not just in the South. I mean, that's I think the movie did a nice job of not making it <clears throat> so stereotypical. Um, we have you know issues of racial bias throughout the system, no matter where people are um, finding themselves in the system, um, and so. In the church, you know, in the Catholic Church, especially with, uh, it's been about 18 months since the Catholic Conference of Bishops shared the pastoral letter against racism, Open Wide Our Hearts. And so I think we're seeing that this movie and the issues of racism um, kind of overlay, and there's this is just becoming a point to, to have the conversations about race at a deeper level, and especially the systems. Um, where systemic ra- racism can lead to um, this this really endemic brokenness, um, and so that's exciting for us because it's such a factor in looking at the death penalty and how the system is so broken. We would even if the system was perfect, we'd be against it because we're not for killing and you know taking life. But um, but racism and racial bias is something that is so endemic to the brokenness of the death penalty in the U.S. Um, so the fact that that is coming up and we can look at all sorts of, you know, criminal justice brokenness or cr- the criminal legal system and how it's broken, be it from traffic infractions to, you know, parking tickets to, you know, drug abuse cases, etc., you know, all the way through up to grave harm, um, it's not just in one part of the system. It is 
throughout. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity for folks to think about it in a new way. Yeah, and I guess uh, obviously we talked about the um, the study guide being a great way to to unpack some conversation. Are there other ways that you encourage folks who you know, as you mentioned, I feel like Just Mercy is kind of this this next generation's uh, dead man walking in a lot of ways, and and hopefully it will really spark a renewed conversation about the the need for systemic change in our society. Um, as you as you encounter folks who are really wanting to um, to, to be leaders in this area or really wanting to engage further. Um, are there other ways that you encourage folks to take the next step um, in terms of right. um, taking action and, and really promoting advocacy in this area? Right. Well, I mean, I, we definitely have other ways, even in states like Illinois that has already repealed the death penalty um, in other states like it. There are other things you can do. I mean, we all can work towards the abolition nationwide. And so that's a state-by-state basis at this point. Um, And so visiting Catholic Mobilizing's website helps folks kind of lean into that conversation and find out ways to take action. Um, So that's catholicmobilizing.org. One of the ways that um, we've asked folks to to weigh in and, and use their faithful voice and advocate is through when there are imminent executions, you know, in states like Texas or Georgia or Tennessee, other places that are somewhat regularly, uh, at least as the last couple of years, been executing folks, um, to, to, to take a moment and do a one-click letter in our Mercy in Action where you're actually able to direct a letter of your protest and calling for clemency for that individual, um, for the Board of Paroles and Pardon, or for the governor of that state who have ultimately the final decision mm-hmm. and can stay execution. So that's another way for folks to get involved. And then, you know, the other aspect I haven't spoken that much of, but I know is near and dear to your heart, Ryan, and others within the, the Archdiocese of Chicago, is actually building something new, which is the restorative justice part. Mm-hmm. Um, so CMN helps to teach practices of what are common and um, core to restorative justice, like circle process, peace-building circles or healing circles, and all the practices that go on with a restorative approach. Um, So teaching people how to imagine a different way of being. So I think it's about the death penalty and ending it, but it's about building restorative approaches, responses, strategies, and practices in our ministries, in our lives, in our homes, and ultimately seeking that in our communities and policies, um, especially around the criminal legal system. Yeah. Well, and it, it, I think uh, this is a good way to wrap up, too, because it's, it's something that I think I, I constantly get from the from the writings and the, the speeches of Brian Stevenson, right? It's all about proximity. You can't understand uh, these complex is- issues from a distance. You have to get close. And I think that's one of the reasons why restorative justice is such a powerful um, um, you know, philosophy, because it's about being in right relationship with others and, and creating new ways of being with others. So um, unfortunately, we are we are at our time. And so um, I, I thank you so much, Chris Ann, for the amazing work that you and the staff at Catholic Mobilizing Network is doing and for being with us. Please visit catholicsmobilizing.org to learn more about their ministry and ways to get involved in this cur- critical work. Thank you so much, Chris Ann. Thanks. Join us every Monday through Friday at this time for Catholic Chicago, 
You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.